Welcome back to Law in the Limelight. I'm Max Haas, along with my co-hosts, Peter Speroni and Winton Yates. Today, we have a very special guest, David Hecht, who's an attorney who works with inventors, artists, entrepreneurs, entertainers across a spectrum of intellectual property matters. And we're talking to David today about a very interesting case in the copyright world that involves copyright protection for choreography. Specifically, David represented the choreographer Jaquel Knight in his efforts to receive a copyright registration for the single ladies choreography, the famous Beyonce song that's been performed in a number of very public settings. And of course, choreography is very well known and widely duplicated. David, thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure, Max. Thanks so much for having me. Um, actually, I, I still represent Jaquel, nice. um, and we uh, are still actually in the process of cataloging his works um, and registering his works with the Copyright Office. Um, and as you might know, and, and your listeners might know, you don't necessarily need to register every work. Um, a lot of times that's kind of the prerequisite um, if you think that litigation may be coming. And um, without revealing too much more, one of the reasons that uh, Jaquel had registered was precisely for that reason, um, because, you know, especially in light of kind of the, the backdrop of how we met, which was the um, kind of the Epic Games that I had filed a number of years back, um, one of which actually overcame uh, motion to dismiss. And uh, so Leo Pellegrino, um, who's with the band Too Many Zoos, um, who is very well known um, baritone saxophonist, uh, his his likeness was was taken, so that was not actually a copyright case, but mm -hmm. the Fortnite emotes kind of started this whole conversation, and um, there has definitely been interest um, from you know a number of people about some of Jaquel's iconic works, and so we're we're still in that process. So that's, that's exactly right, and um, you know I know that you had introduced me, uh, kind of as representing a wide swath of IP. Um, you know, clients and things, and that, that's exactly right too. My my background is in actually electrical and computer engineering, of all things, and uh, I, I love tech, and that's why this was kind of again with with Fortnite, it's kind of the perfect intersection between tech and copyright and the law. Um, you know, it, so it was very interesting to me, and and I've kind of taken it up as a cause because as I've learned over the years. Um, you know, Jaquel and you know others have really introduced me to the fact that um, choreography and dance is really it's known as the bastard stepchild of the arts. It doesn't get the respect. It doesn't get the respect in terms of you know mainstream and certainly not with respect to the law. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I've tried to help in terms of protecting works and also educating performers as to what their rights are. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate you doing that. And I'm sure lots of um, performers and creators appreciate that as well. And yeah. and what's interesting, you bring up Fortnite. That reminds me of uh, kind of one of the other areas where choreography and video games specifically have intersected and actually, at least in, in my awareness, kind of first drew a lot of public attention to this issue maybe a couple months or possibly a year or so before Jaquel was able to get his registration through, which is... Um, the Carlton dance was copied in a video game. And um, I'm, I'm blanking on some names here, but basically they tried to stop the video game manufacturer from incorporating the dance. And they said, 
well, it's not an it's not a long enough sequence to really count as choreography, and therefore it doesn't have copyright protection, and the whole dispute was yep. basically dismissed. Now, uh, well, actually, I, I represented Alfonso Ribeiro. Um, okay. I was the one who filed that. Um, it was not dismissed actually on, on that ground. We voluntarily dismissed because what happened was um, the copyright. We we had brought a number of claims because uh, you know this being kind of uh, these issues being very new, we were still deciding as to, well, what plan of attack, you know, is, is it really a copyright case or is it a right of publicity case or maybe it's a trademark case? So, um, ultimately, I think a lot of them are kind of the intersection between copyright and right of publicity. And you kind of, you do have to make a decision as to which one of those paths you follow. But on the copyright end of things, um, the fourth estate case in the Supreme Court actually found that you have to have a registration in hand before mm -hmm. filing. We did not. Right. And so uh, I, I can tell you actually that Alfonso Ribeiro had been rejected at the Copyright Office, but That's there is incredible. a sort of appeals process. And what's interesting is, uh, in my view, my personal view, I, I think that the Copyright Office is in, in a weird position where there's not enough case law for them, there's not enough guidance in the statute and so for what we submitted, which was actually not just a couple second clip of the, what's, what's known as the, the dance, he, he, like uh, Alfonso Rivero actually likes to refer to it as the dance rather than the Carlton dance, but the dance, um, the iconic dance from Fresh Prince. And um, we actually have something else that we submitted, which was much longer and really should, there should be no doubt as to whether or not it should have um, you know, sufficient status to be registered, and that is still in limbo. Um, so, so these issues are still evolving, and I think that one of the things that I've been kind of, you know, and I haven't done a, a, you know, a very um, intense job of this, but I think that lobbying is kind of the next step because I, I think that the Copyright Act is outdated in this respect, and I think there, the fact that there is no guidance except what dances and choreography cannot be, which you actually, you hit it on, uh, hit the nail on the head right away, which was, is something too simple? Or is it, um, for example, a, um, a a dance that is um, something that is, uh, what's it called? Uh, um, uh, I'm blanking. <laughs> um, as far as, as a, it's a, uh, like a partner dance, um, a social dance, let's start. Mm. Couldn't, couldn't remember the word for a second, but no, social dance. And so simple or social are the two S's. And with social, um, you know, there's not a lot of guidance on that too. What does that mean? Does that mean like YMCA where everyone's like dancing in a group? Does that mean, um, you know, a social dance, a partner dance like the waltz? Because that's the examples that the copyright office gives. Or is it uh, social in the sense that, you know, it's posted on social media and intended for others to imitate? I mean, that never existed until a couple of years ago. Right. So there is a big question. And so we, we've seen the two rejections across others of my clients. So what's nice about Jaquel is it's really given me a chance to kind of attack from every angle. And, and I, I use the word attack because I'm really a litigator. And so uh, this has been a fun exercise for me. And I've, I've been um, very much kind of attacking from a, a litigation perspective with the thought that maybe we have to enforce at some point 
you know, who, who knows who, who we're going to have to defend against or uh, in terms of defending our rights or, you know, what we're going to have to do. But as far as, you know, what these rejections we're seeing. So someone like Jaquel has um, single ladies, right? And the music video, for example, for single ladies is, you know, three, four minute, whatever it is. I don't know the exact time, but it's a, essentially a lot of wide shots of Beyonce and backup dancers dancing, you know, the, the, the movement that, you know, Jaquel had authored. And so what's nice about that video is it's a really easy registration sample that we could, you know, we could put into the copyright office as a, you know, a registration um, sample of, of what it is that we're registering. Now, Jaquel has an issue sometimes where we register works, for example, WAP. And in WAP, um, if any of you have seen it, you know, there's the uh, first thing that comes to mind is, wait, where is the dancing in WAP? And uh, yeah, I have two responses to that. The first is there is actually a sequence. It's called the, the pipe room sequence. And in the pipe room, um, I forget, what, I, I believe it was either green or, or purple. It's been a while since I saw the video um, as far as the background. But in that sequence, that was filmed with, you know, lots of dancers and it, there was an extended sequence. As you cut a music video, you're only taking small snippets from it. So if we send that to the copyright office, they're going to say, well, we see a lot of other stuff. We don't see a lot of choreography here. This is, this is not sufficient, right? But they are kind of just making that, you know, kind of a, a gut check of what they believe might be sufficient length. There is no guidance as to what, what should be. Now, my view of this and what I think is the proper in the industry view in a music video, of course, you have a choreographer who's not only working on what is traditionally thought of as dance, but every movement down to how okay. Kylie Jenner is walking through the hall, right? So not everything has to be, I, I think there is this fundamental tie to, well, is this like, you know, ballet or is this, you know, traditional dance steps? And I think the way that dance has now evolved and the way that music videos have evolved, there is something known as choreography in, in more than just traditional dance. And that is not captured in the statute. So I would actually argue that, you know, you, the statute should kind of be broadened um, to include these types of things because, you know, look, if the industry is giving choreography credit to people like Jaquel, there's a reason for that. Right. So then what's also interesting about WAP. And they're being uh, paid for that service too. Uh, they paid for the service. And even if, you know, only snippets are used, you know, the fact that it exists, right, then the next question is, okay, well, it's copyright, so it has to be fixed in a tangible medium, right, as we know, um, one of the requisites. So let's say there's a rehearsal copy where Jaquel and other dancers, or, you know, it doesn't matter who, are showing the same dance and going through the steps. Well, that is fixed on a tangible medium. I could upload that and, you know, submit that as a sample. And so what happens is if I submit both at the same time, the copyright office, it gets confused. They say, well, which one do you really want to register? Is it the, the work that's in the music video or is it the rehearsal video? Are they the same? Are they not the same? So it's, it, there are a lot of issues. And for example, just in, in that um, WAP video, there, is a, a, there are always differences between what appears uh, you know, in one version of choreography and what happens in the other, uh, you know, like if you have a music video versus the rehearsal copy, just because the human body cannot really replicate exactly the same movement twice. It can be very close, but it can't be precise because it's just, it's an imprecise art, 
you know, you can get, you know, within a couple millimeters, but if someone was there with, with, uh, you know, the proper measurement scalpel or, or something, you would see that it would, it would not be a hundred percent, the, you know, 99%. So that's another issue, right? You can't really always recreate it exactly. Um, so these are really interesting novel issues that I just think are, you know, completely not, um, Kind of recognized by the Copyright Office, recognized by Congress, because you know, 30, 40 years ago, who would have thought that we would have had you know digital recreations? And so, actually, I, I do take one thing back. You can have 100% duplication if you have something like Fortnite digitally duplicating, right. you know, from from a video, and you absolutely can. But but a human cannot really do the same movement two times. So, <clears throat> you know, these are things that I, I feel like I'm on you know in a new frontier, and I'm really on the cusp of. Um, you know, some of these interesting questions. So that's what really drew me to this, even though it's not normally what I do, you know, as far as registering um, anything. I used to be a, a patent prosecutor, but that was very, very early in my career when I was still in law school. Cut couple things. One, sure. you may have not heard it here first, but you're going to hear it again. WAP was choreographed by a man. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, secondly, I think what it sounds like in terms of like the confusion in the copyright office, right, is it, what it sounds like is that there seems to be an open and ongoing development into what constitutes really the composition of dance. Because in the copyright world of music, we know we're sort of dealing with that sound recording. We're dealing with the underlying lyrics, melody, and composition. And then the dance world, it's sort of like, well, we're sort of creating a composition. We're, we're, we're tangibly fixing it in a medium of expression. But... An open question I would I would think, and maybe you can shed some light on this, is is the choreography or is the choreography attached to the actual music as part of the composition, or is the choreography completely separate so that if somebody else uses the single lady's dance that is not to the single lady's music, uh, Jaquel Knight still would have a copyright claim on that use of his copyright. Is that is that how it's moving forward? That that's currently the state of the law. So yeah. I, I can tell you with 100% certainty that the dance is completely separate. It, and now contractually, this doesn't always happen, right? Because you have mm -hmm. a lot of choreographers before they're they're even, you know, beginning to uh, to draft something and, and they, they don't really put pen to paper. They just start moving um, and capturing it and teaching others. Um, you know, eventually, by the way, you can put pen to paper. There is something called Laban notation and we've submitted some of those types of samples, including for Alfonso Ribeiro to the copyright office, but that's an aside. But as far as your question, it, they're entirely separable because when you actually register a work with the copyright office, you can actually tell them what it is that's excluded. So you're exactly right where you have an audiovisual work, for example, and you can separate the different layers. Well, the music could be completely divorced from you know, the, the, um, the actors or, you know, whatever's going on or choreography or, or, you know, music, singing, all of those things could be very different and they're, they're kind of disparate parts. Now they are put together in one cohesive unit for a music video, but that, that can be take out pieces of it. Just like you could have, you know, the, the, the background track and not the words. And, you know, there's different rights that are, uh, you know, associated with potentially different people. Um, and different, you know, entities. So that is really interesting because you bring up a good point. Like what happens if, you know, it just happens to be the, the dance steps or the beat of it is, <clears throat> could be aligned with another song. And, um, you know, if something is lifted and the choreography is used, and by the way, I should also qualify that 
one of the things that I think the only negative for any of the copyright and choreography kind of outreach or lawsuits or anything, any of the, the only negative has been that I've heard is kind of a misperception from uh, lay people who think, well, you know, does this mean that now Jaquel can go to a club and start policing, you know, people who are trying to um, dance single ladies or something like that, right? And, you know, obviously, there's when there's no commercial component, there is zero motivation. In fact, you know, it would be the opposite. You, uh, you know, an author of a work would want someone to imitate and to popularize something, potentially. I would, I would think many of them would. I know Jaquel is one of them. He would love to encourage others to dance. But when you're monetizing off of it, when you create an avatar or, you know, an emote in a video game and you're selling it for $10, that's completely different. And so the commercialization aspect is, you know, an another factor um, as is, you know, then that, that's an interesting question because you have TikTok and, you know, YouTube and other ways to monetize content. And, you know, unless someone owns the content, they should be very careful about monetizing it. Yeah. yeah so um, in terms of that, that's, that's very interesting. And in terms of the clout, Jaquel might have now with copyright registration for his dances. So talk to us a little bit about what that looks like. So here's a here's an open question. So he's got a copyright for a particular song and now he's going to work with a big artist and that big artist is obviously attached to some sort of record label. So are did the negotiations or are there future negotiations around the future profits that are tied into the record labels efforts, whereas before maybe a choreographer would have been getting an upfront fee a big amount to choreograph now is it looking like less of sort of an advance and more of a back-end royalty on the overall revenue from the project or how are those revenue streams being divvied up once once they recognize the copyright that, that's a great question it's also evolving area totally evolving and very you know individualized so with Jaquel because he is really known as you know one of the the you know he's iconic and one of the most recognized choreographers right so he can yeah. command a very different deal than than someone else, right? Sure. Who's, who's starting out, and so what we're seeing is there's absolutely choreographers that sign their lives away for a day rate. Jaquel mm -hmm. was smart enough and forward looking enough that on a lot of his deals he he never did that, even before I was ever you know years before I was ever involved. Now he is moving because he has the clout and because he is you know he obviously knows that some of these things will uh, make lots of money and there's not only music video but there's also tours you know live performances and so he absolutely is looking for a royalty a back end and so what he's doing is announcing that publicly and telling the rest of the industry let's all stand up together and ask for more because unlike you know lots of others who are in this field who are commanding more they just ignore us for the most part right mm -hmm. so he's he is trying to fight that fight, not only for himself, but because, you know, all the um, kind of people can rise or fall together. And so he really sees this as a, a community effort that if he kind of makes others aware of what their rights are and what they could potentially get, that maybe, you know, that will affect the market price. And so that that's one of his hopes. Now, whether that's happening, I don't really have firsthand knowledge, you know, that, that far. Sure. I can tell you that, you know, people have been referred to me. Um, through him and through others. And so I think the industry is changing and the hope is that the industry can change because, you know, it's important. And the, the type of work that Jaquel and choreographies do, choreographers do 
it's very difficult. I mean, contorting your body and moving your body like that. I mean, you know, it's just like, and doing that all day. I mean, can, I can't even imagine. I, I would not be cut out for that type of work. They're, but, they're, but yeah. Go physically ahead. trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're some of the best athletes. I mean, it, yeah, the the exactly. the artistic part of it, I've always been impressed with. I back in New York, um, you know, 18, 19, 20, I, I had a circle of friends that were all choreographers. So I know that world and I had so much respect for what they do because the work that they put into it it's not just what everybody thinks. I mean, this is, this is a, it's a sport to them. It's a passion to them. It's, it's everything. So you see the real choreographers that have that success. Uh, you see that kind of passion portrayed in their work. So um, I'm, I'm excited that there's, there's copyright protection and more clout for choreographers because it's so easily argued that something like single ladies had a greater impact because of Jaquel Knight. Like there, obviously everybody knows that dance, like that's, that's yeah. became everywhere. So he's responsible, that's his vision, that's his creative process. And so it just seems to me, it makes the most sense where he's attached to that through some sort of protection moving forward. And I think that kind of stuff is important and encouraging for choreographers um, moving forward in the industry. This is really, I, I think this is great. When, when Max had mentioned this, I said, absolutely, this is, this is where it's at. I think this is an interesting, interesting topic. And I like the fact that it's evolving because we'll see where it goes. I mean, we might even see this kind of stuff be built into the overall sale of NFTs through smart contracts. You may be putting out a royalty of uh, choreography in a certain type of scene within a, a music video or, or so. I think the opportunities are endless here. Yeah, I, I, go ahead. I did want to just take a, a very quick step back just to kind of give a little bit of context here, because as we talk about the business and sort of the industry side of things changing, oftentimes what we've seen in music and other art forms is that the business side changes and either forces the law to change or there's some kind of change in the law that then allows for new business opportunities. So just very briefly, can you talk a little bit about what kind of historically made it so challenging for choreographers to get protection before? My understanding is that there had to be some kind of narrative element, and it seems that maybe the Copyright Office is not adhering to that as much now. Maybe you can eliminate that. That's exactly right. There, it's been a while since I looked at pre-1978, and I apologize, I, I didn't look before this particular uh, interview, no but I, I, you're you're spot on as far as I remember because there there was a component um, that had to do with um, something just besides choreography in the abstract, and that so that changed in 1978, and so the the requirements because they're vague. I mean, it, it it's good and bad, right? Because we can do things like I'm doing with trying to register certain videos and and trying to see what the best angle for all this is. But you know there is latitude, which is nice. Um, I think the next step, you know, to your point is that you know the the law has to follow the technology and, and the you know the, the climate, and I, I think it's time for some of this stuff to be reevaluated, or or maybe and or. Um, and I mentioned the right of publicity. I think there there could be or there should be maybe a national right of publicity. And I think you're seeing this with college athletes. I don't know if, if you guys have covered that on your show. Very Last interesting. I know someone. You know, yeah, I know someone in that space, um, and that that is kind of totally dovetails with this type of thing. Where 
if you are known for something, whether it's the athletic prowess or it's the type of, you know, kind of uh, finishing move that you do or something, something like some kind of movement or, or something, there is an intersection there. And, you know, there are questions that arise and you don't obviously you don't want a complete overlap. You, you should have to choose one over the other, I think. But I think that um, this is where, you know, maybe a, na a national right of publicity would be helpful because if, if a certain person kind of becomes um, inextricably tied to a movement, um, you know, then and their image is kind of being utilized through that particular movement. And this is, you know, very case specific, but where you have someone in, and in the case of, for example, Leo P, one of the reasons that I, I thought that was just such a clear case was you had the saxophone in addition to his movement. So of course it's it's you know it's not just about can people you know open and close their feet like that, which is very rare. You know, they, I think they call it being um, was a pigeon toed, um, and it's a, you know not a lot of people and not a lot of famous people, to my knowledge, do that, uh, if any, except for Leo P. But the fact that you include a, a you know kind of a signature piece as well. So you know there are interesting aspects of the law that, that need to catch up with what is going on in terms of you know memes and you know recycling of content of on uh, you know TikTok and other social media because it's just it's something that one one big problem that I've I've seen firsthand and that I've become you know advocate of as well is and I know black creatives in in particular have said okay, we're getting, you know, a raw deal here. You know, we're coming up with a lot of the dances, a lot of the movement, whatever it is, even if you don't define it as a dance, uh, and we're not getting the royalties. We're not even getting recognition. And you know, one of my clients, the earliest of the Fortnite clients was Two Millie. He's a rapper out of Brooklyn. And Two Millie came up with the Millie Rock. And the Millie Rock was then utilized in, um, you know, Fortnite. And one of his biggest problems was not just that they used it, and they didn't pay for it, but also that they renamed it. So it was the cultural appropriation, right? Wow. And it's a whole, I'm going down a, a different angle, but historically, you know, lot, the, the rights of African-American artists were kind of, in a way, if you read a lot of the history and there's a, a law review article in, in the Fordham um, IPLJ, I worked very closely with uh, the young lady who had authored that piece. She was, I believe she was a dancer previously. And she actually went into detail as to historically how the African-American artist was really ignored and really kind of, um, you know, the, the industry was like kind of actively hostile or the, the legal industry was, was actively hostile. So I'm glad that, you know, we're turning that around or at least trying to, you know, in, with the current, with the current like law there, there is really, it doesn't seem to me that the deck is stacked. It's more of, you know, people's recognition of the law and respect of it, you know, and, and one of the things that did come out of the Epic suits were Epic now, I mean, I've seen it firsthand, has been approaching creatives, uh, you know, on TikTok or otherwise, and has been saying, you know, okay, sign up with us and we'll give you some, some money. <laughs> we'll, we'll like, we'd like to license this, but they, you know, a lot of times between us, uh, the amount are, are, you know, the amounts are, are quite low. And so, you know, kind of in in the in theme with what Jaquel's trying to accomplish, there needs to be a conversation about, well, this stuff is worthwhile. This stuff is, is valuable. And people should um, you know, maybe think twice at a number that seems uh, pretty low because it probably is. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, sorry, go uh, ahead. Here. So just um, just 
generally from my understanding of dancers in general and choreographers in general, it's they're a little bit different in terms of if, you, if you're a songwriter or an artist and you're a one-hit wonder or you write that one song, there's a saying, you know, one song is all it takes and you, you know, you have plenty of money or whatever, you know, back in the day, whatever. So you could sort of survive off of that hit song if you wrote it. Well, if you choreograph that hit song, the dance, the music video, the dance, that was it. You got paid for the dance, but it was part of the whole branding and marketing and everything else. So this particular uh, situation gives choreographers a longevity that they never had before because they can help they can help grow this business from that copyright protection and then they can license it out and they can create branding opportunities and that's sort of a new look at things so i'm super happy to hear about all of the creative people that have struggled so hard to put their passion into dance now have a new sort of outlet to look at what they did and the successes they had as a business, not just now, but as they move forward and do new licensing deals with their copyright. I think this is great and much needed because you're right, they pour their heart and soul into a creative project and then they're sort of just cut out when the project goes boom and they're left over and a dancer doesn't dance competitively in his 40s, 50s, 60s. So it's relatively short on when they can actually appear in front of the camera and go on yep. tours. So that lifespan short, what gives them the longevity afterwards? And I think the copyright protection in the amazing work that they create during their careers or the height of their careers is key to set them up for retirement and everything else they want to do in life. This is a good thing. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, there's certainly in, the, in that industry, there's plenty of money to go around. I mean, everyone thought, I remember back in the Napster days that, yeah. you know, music, the music industry is, is not what it used to be. Well, that, that's certainly not true. And those industries have found how to monetize every single type of, you know, digital infrastructure mm -hmm. that you could get. And people are making money. So there, there definitely should be spread around. And, and a big part of, you know, what people are looking at, they want to see, sometimes there could be a difference between a music video and a song. And a music video that that's done right can really enhance a song and become like like in the case of WAP. Um, you know, I, I think it was a completely different experience to watch the music video. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have to start wrapping this up. Before we go, um, David, I had just a couple more questions for you. First is, do you see um, any potential for? Uh, this this sort of new territory we're in with copyright and choreography and this emerging world of NFTs. Do you see any sort of synergy there or opportunities there? So there are there are opportunities. I have personal views of N NFTs. I don't know. Have you guys done show on that one? We've done uh, yes. Two, please, yeah. please. Uh, what are your personal views on NFTs? <laughs> and look, I, I don't know how informed they are, so I'll, I'll preface with that. But in my mind. You know, the the idea that you have an original digital copy of something is almost like an oxymoron. Um, and so to me, something like a, a physical um, version that is kind of authentic and, and signed or you know, something like that. You get a CD, for example, and, you know, the artist who, I don't know, sang a song or did something, created a CD, signed it and said, this is the first copy of my work. To me, that would be more valuable than something on a blockchain that's just like, okay, we, we moved over a file and we can we can create another NFT later. You know, it's, it, it all comes down to like 
but do you trust um, whatever the, the NFT source is? And I'm sure there are now reputable sources, but I just, I, I was not all that excited about it. I mean, I like the fact, and, I, and I'm a big, I'm a crypto and, and um, you know, blockchain uh, person, uh, you know, and, and interested in that, that field. I, I mine Bitcoin in my basement um, and other <laughs> types of uh, currency. But I just, you know, I, 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 I like the, the part that you're kind of tracing, you know, where what the licenses are and everything. But I just feel like, you know, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the, the big value. And certainly from, an, oh, and I, I will also tell you, one of the reasons that I was almost immediately hostile towards it was certain of my clients were getting scammed. So I, I would get emails and they're forwarding mm -hmm. emails and they're like, um, you know, some, you know, NFT broker or someone is like, you know, we'll sign you up and, you know, we want to, for example, with dance, uh, we, we want to create a, a digital avatar and store, store that on the, the chain. And I'm like, what, so what, and we're going to give you copyright protection. That was the, 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 the kicker for me. I'm like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. So I don't, it certainly doesn't enhance intellectual property. I think we could all agree there. It, it, I don't see that. It could enhance licensing tracking down the, yeah. down the road. Um, but yeah, as far as kind of personally, I, I would never buy an F NFT. I think that the NFT, yes, it will maybe not enhance the actual intellectual property, but I think certain NFTs are being sold with enhanced and unique intellectual property as part of buying it. But again, that's just a copyright being folded into your purchase of the NFT. So I see what you're saying on the differences and we're, we're covering a case with Jay-Z and Damon Dash about the reasonable doubt NFT and that's sort of coming up. Are NFTs looking as copyrights or are they looking as corporate assets? And so uh, we're, we're seeing the sort of interplay between intellectual property and NFTs. And I would probably tend to agree with you that there's a distinct separation at this point but that could change. I think. I think. Um, I think all of the companies that are popping up right now, they're just going to fall by the wayside. The bubble is going to burst, and then the market's going to settle itself out. So I'll be looking forward to see what happens to it. Then I, I, it's too new to know now. Yeah, that's that's right. It's good to to kind of keep abreast of what's going on. But yeah, I, I uh, and usually with tech stuff, I mean, I am all in very early on. Yeah. I love tech, but there's certain things that. You know, eh, you know, I, and I was actually back in the day, I was a huge proponent for social media until I saw exactly the damage it can do and the way <laughs> it can become. So I'm not always right about things, but you know, <laughs> at least I'd like to know about them. Yeah, that's really interesting. So last last question for you. Are there specific things that choreographers should know or any kind of insight or wisdom you want to share with them as they create new pieces and things they need to know about? note-taking, notation software, other sites of documentation of their work? So I think it's becoming more common um, for people to record themselves um, dancing and doing things. So choreographers are doing that, uh, even without kind of knowing that it's a good thing to fix your work in a tangible medium, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say it's a good idea to talk to a lot of the, the more senior, Jaquel included, but a lot of the, the kind of um, godfathers of the the industry are approachable. Like I, I've talked to a lot of, of uh, really renowned choreographers. And so I think it's a good idea to talk to them. I mean, it's hard to, to tell a young choreographer, like talk to an attorney because then it's probably the last thing. And, you know, it's also unaffordable a lot of times. Um, but I, I would say do, do a little bit of diligence and 
you know, talk to the community. I know, you know, I was on, um, you know, uh, like the community discussion on, um, what's the, uh, yeah, part, uh, was it? Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, forgot it for a second. Clubhouse? Um, what's that? Clubhouse? Clubhouse. Yeah, that's what it was. Clubhouse. And we did a, um, you know, it, it, it turned out to be like just, you know, 100 person plus attend, attended event where most of those people were choreographers. After the event, everyone was like messaging me and, you know, sending me because I told them to contact me on LinkedIn and people did. And so I think that the word is kind of spreading, but I, I do think it's, a, I think my, my best advice is don't sell yourself short. Right. If you think that what you're doing is is important and could be used, then maybe you don't take the day rate. If you, I mean, it's obviously not going to work for someone who's brand new. But if you, you know, think you can drive a harder bargain, it might make sense. And Quell has opened up a management company, mm -hmm. so right, that might be a good idea as well. Even if he's not necessarily representing you, um, he and his team, um, it's a good idea to to talk and to just figure out. What is it that the industry is, is, you know, where are we in the industry? You know, what kind of demands are people making? Um, that, that's really what it is because, you know, there's, there's strength in numbers. Yeah, that's great. Well, David Heck, thank you so much for joining us here on Law in the Limelight. We've had a great conversation about the intersection of copyright and choreography and even threw in a little bit about NFTs because we can't help it here on Law in the Limelight. <laughs> Um, until next time, I'm Max Haas with Peter Speroni and Winton Yates. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you, David. Thank you, Take care. One of our rules is telling you about the other rules. First thing you should know is nothing we say here is legal advice. And you shouldn't take it as legal advice. We'll be giving our personal thoughts and opinions on various entertainment industry issues and we hope that it's informative and maybe even educational for you. But if you have a specific legal issue, then I recommend you contact an attorney directly and set up a consultation where they can give you legal advice. And the second thing you should know, even though we all work for the same firm, it doesn't mean that we all speak on behalf of our whole firm. Views and opinions expressed are solely our own. Final words of warning, depends on what state you're in. While you're watching or listening, be aware that Law on the Limelight may be considered attorney advertising. That's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed listening. So without further ado, please enjoy, please enjoy Law in the Limelight, Law in the Limelight.